0: Well, good morning, church. Hey, isn't it great to be together? Boy, that was really convincing. Wow. I am so glad you three are glad to be here, too. Hey, uh, let's just have a moment of family time. Isn't the sunshine awesome? What we is going on? Family. There we go. I got all my with me. Okay, family time. know what to say to that truthfully I just say it's a good thing you didn't see me start to dance that would have been really disturbing hey um just a moment of family time can I say that the snow is officially going can we just say that oh man I am naming it and claiming it, folks. That's, that's just where I am at. Like, this thing is done. We are done with it. And I am so thankful. I, I, I tell you, today marks a year, if you can believe it, since my candidating weekend. And the one big difference is last year there was no snow. There was no snow for a month. And I remember the search team telling me last year, oh, this is a normal Michigan winter. <laughs> And I'm just declaring it, that was false advertising, people. <laughs> and in fact, since they did that, it's making me wonder, maybe my signing bonus and the company car are not going to come. <laughs> Anyways, we lived through it. But I'm going to tell you what made it a little bit easier to live through. And I know some of these folks are serving downstairs with our kids' ministry. But if, if they are here... Um, I just need you to come up for a moment, and that is Bill Pollard, Caleb Hubble, Levon Stoops, Don Jose, Mark Morse, Keith Letterer, Nate Wielinga, Brian Palenkis, and our very own Matt Hackbarth. Hey, would these guys just come on up here? I, I know uh, you may feel embarrassed. Come on up for a second. I I need to tell you, wow, all of them are just running to the front right now. Come on up, Mark. I know many of them are downstairs working. Some are on security team right now. These folks, these folks plowed our driveways and parking lot here at East Bay Calvary all winter long. And these folks have never asked for a penny, and they have literally saved our church thousands of dollars this year by all of their work and we say praise the lord and we just have um a a little gift here's three of the 10 that that did it but it'll also let you know these guys serve elsewhere than just in a in a truck and so mark thank you so much appreciate it brother good work Levon, you're in here my friend and um, save that one here for a second Levon, thanks brother appreciate it Nate good work my friend, thank you so much hey one more round of applause, thank you guys good work all I can say is honey let's go out to eat um, this week, wow that is great. Hey, God is doing some fantastic things here at East Bay Calvary. I don't want you to be discouraged looking around and say, wow, there's some gaps in the seats. Let me tell you, these gaps in the seats have been replaced even more so with a number of kids downstairs. And if you're ever wondering what is going on around here, uh, I'll, I'll let you take a second and sneak downstairs and take a peek because it is absolutely fantastic what's going on in our kids' ministry down there. And just a couple weeks ago, when we had this last, we had nearly 160 children and leaders downstairs. And I walked through there on my way up here, and it is buzzing with excitement. So praise God for what he is doing at East Bay Calvary as we continue to make more and better disciples uh, for Jesus Christ. So of all the things that can test us, that can test our attitude, test our resolve, test our words, test our expressions, even our spiritual maturity, I think the test of time is the toughest test of all. You know, patience is a beast of a thing to grab, let me tell you. And, and, And I know for myself, this is one of those days I'm preaching to me And I'm going to let you all listen in on what's going on because patience is not an easy thing to handle or to come up with. Um, It's interesting, I was originally planning to preach this message on April 15th, the very day we were tested with a snowstorm and our patience was all tested. And if Facebook is an indicator if we have patience or not, I think we all need this message today after last week um, I've seen more things on Facebook in my life as the patience of the entire northern portion of Michigan was under extreme testing last week I saw a meme on there though that gave some truth and here it goes it said um, if you choose to lose joy because of the amount of snow you will have less joy but you will not have any less snow. I almost feel I could close with prayer after that. Patience is tough. In losing our patience, we can be costed many things. Patience can cost us our attitude. You realize this? Amazing how our attitude can be hijacked by impatience. The complaining, the annoyance, the frustration, the anger, the abruptness, all of these things just, it just preys upon our attitude, and that's what comes out. Our health, you realize impatience can affect our health? Little do we realize the effect of impatience on our blood pressure, our weight gain, what stress does to our mental state. Even the fact that we don't want to wait for our food, so we whoop, quick run and grab everything fast and easy that's not always the best for us. It does affect our health. Patience affects our money. Now think about it for a second. Have you ever tried to repair something and you, you get impatient with it? And now you realize, I don't need to repair it, I actually need to replace it? You ever been there? Do we need to do every head bowed and every eye closed this morning? We've all been there. How many have tried to get somewhere a little too quickly and got a speeding ticket? And it costs you money. It can even cost a husband who is impatient with his wife $12.67 in flowers and chocolate. Hypothetically speaking, Boy, I'm getting a lot of surprises here this morning, aren't I? <laughs> patience can co- That's enough of that picture, by the way. Uh, patience can cost us our sleep. It can cost us our sanity. It can cost us our testimony. Impatience can cost us so much. It's probably a good thing. That we're going to take a step back in the book of Esther and see patience just on a grand display here this morning in our section of scripture under study so go ahead and grab your copy of the scripture your iPad your iPod whatever device you have your phone and turn to the book of Esther and we are going to be in chapter eight today we are coming down the home stretch in our study of Esther and I hope it's been rich for you I have just loved it I've had so much fun working through this I've learned so much it's really helped me in my personal relationship with Jesus to be more and more like him, and I hope you're getting the same thing from it as well. Now, uh, if you remember, this goes a couple weeks ago, the whole narrative of Esther came to a grand climax as Haman's scheme just blew up in an awesome way. Maybe you'll remember if we traipse you back in our recollection of a couple weeks ago if you were here, Haman's plan to not only kill Mordecai, but kill off all the Jews in Persia. His plan was exposed by Queen Esther. Now, Haman had no idea that Esther was a Jew. He had no idea what was occurring, but he did know by the way things were going, it was not going to work out well because all of a sudden, his plan to get Mordecai knocked off and for him to be in prominence was blown as the king had haman march around persia with mordecai declaring this is the man in whom the king delights and i would have loved to have been there for that very event and then not only that haman's plan was exposed by esther for haman it went from bad to worse because he started to plead with the queen when the plan was exposed to kill off the jews the king was enraged And then Haman went over to Esther to plead with her. And I don't don't know if you remember this. Here she was reclined on the couch and he's grabbing her. And the king walked in and thinks she's trying to molest the queen. And that was the end. In fact, that was the very last moment that Haman saw daylight because then someone stuck this bag over his head and pulled the cinch tight and off he went and he got impaled on a, Impaling pole that was 75 feet tall. And in there, Haman's end was in sight of everyone. This evil plan to impale Mordecai on the 75 foot pole backfired. Haman, instead, became the spectacle. Everyone around, instead of thinking, boy, I need to respect Haman because this happened, everyone around looked and said, wow, there's this God that switch this whole thing around, and we need to respect and love him. So after Haman's efforts to kill Mordecai, here we are at chapter 8, and there is so much irony here. I normally don't do this, but I'm going to do it this morning, if you don't mind. And even if you do, I'm still going to do it. I'm going to read the entire chapter for us. And to make sure that we all stay together on this, because it's slightly warm in here, stand with me, would you? If you can, stand with me. I'm going to read chapter 8. I just want you to follow this. And then we're going to work through a couple ironies. And then we're going to see how it all ties to patience. So chapter 8 of the book of Esther. If you remember, look at the very last verse, or last verses of chapter 7. Here, um, here the servant of the king, Harbona, Mentioned there's this pole that reaches 75 feet in the air that stands by Haman's house. He set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. Get rid of him. So they impaled Haman on the pole. He had set up for Mordecai. The king's fury subsided. Here's chapter 8, verse 1. That same day, check out what happened. King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. Isn't that awesome? There's even more stuff. He was the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came in the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him, that is Mordecai, over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded (coughs) with the king Failing or falling at his feet and, and weeping, she begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it's the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces, for how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as it seems best to you. Seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with this ring can be revoked. At once, the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Savan. They wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, the governors, the nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so the Jews would be ready On the day, to avenge themselves on their enemies, the couriers riding the royal horses went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. And then here's the last part of the chapter. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa, held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy and gladness and honor in every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came. There was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating and many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Isn't that just awesome? Hey, have a seat, let's talk about it. There's a few ironies here. I just want to work through them quickly. I want us to see what changed between the earlier part of Esther to this very chapter that we have with us today. And then following that, I I want us to be able to see the whole reality of the test of patience and how it applies to us this morning here at East Bay Calvary and as you walk out of here and interact with people in your world. So notice a few things. I think you have your study guide there on the back side of your worship folder. Grab that. I just want to give you a few of these ironies as we look back and forth between chapter 3 and chapter 8. Now, this is interesting. If you looked at chapter 3 and verse 13, and here's your first blank to fill in. Chapter 3 and verse uh, 13, you're going to see that Haman had an edict put into place where the Jews were to be plundered. The Jews were to be plundered. And you would wonder why in the world would Haman initially say, go ahead and let's kill off all the Jews. Well, he laced it with incentive. And he said, if you go ahead and you kill off a Jew and their family, everything that they own can now be yours. So you talk about some incentive. You want to double your family's currency. You go kill a Jewish family and you can take everything that they have, their money, their possessions, their cattle, everything that they have, and you can double it. You want to kill two Jewish families? Wow, you can really be rich. Three? And so it was so incentive-laced, kill them, and you can plunder them and take everything that they have. Now that is so contrasted with what we see in chapter 8 If you look at chapter 8, before it was the Jews were to be plundered, now here we are in chapter 8, and you look at verse 1, it starts right out with this. The same day, this is so cool, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. Isn't that awesome? Not only did it end there, notice what happened at the end of verse 2. And Esther appointed Mordecai that's who the hymn is over Haman's estate the very Haman that was impaled on the pole all he owned his entire estate can you imagine how much that was and all of his home his wealth his possessions his slaves his cattle it was all given to Esther and then Esther said here you go Haman the very man who was going to be on the pole All the Jews who would lose everything that they had, and they get it all from from Haman. Now you wonder why this, why didn't Haman's family go ahead and get Haman's estate? Well, Persian law gave the state the power to confiscate property over a criminal. And those who were sentenced to death because of their criminal activity, the state was awarded all of their possessions, and so it was within the rights of the king of Persia to say, here you go, Esther. Here you go, Mordecai. Here's all the possessions of Haman. So it was to be the Jews who were going to be plundered, Now it was Haman. Notice number two. Before, in chapter three, verse 13, and we already talked about this, the Jews were to be killed. The Jews were to be killed. Can I just have you for a moment flip back to chapter three? I want you to see some wording here that's really interesting. Uh, chapter three and verse thirteen. Now when Mordecai or when Haman put together this decree to go ahead and kill the Jews, he used three words that made sure they would be completely wiped out. And if you notice, here's what those words are, chapter three, verse thirteen. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to, notice these words, destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. That was Haman's order. Destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews. Wipe them all out entirely. So that was the original edict. It described thoroughness. They were to be completely eliminated from Persian culture. And Persian law says that once a king makes a decree, it can never be overruled, even by himself. But notice the new edict. Okay, back to chapter 8, if you would. Chapter 8 and verse 11. You're going to see some familiar words. So the king granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble, and protect themselves. Notice the three words. You see them there? To destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children. You think there's any kowinky dink that the identical words that were used to take the Jewish people out were also given to the Jews now that if anyone attacked them, they could destroy, kill, and annihilate them entirely and take their goods. It's kind of an interesting thing. Here the Jews could avenge and plunder the goods of their enemies, and verse 10 shows Mordecai wrote this decree for the king, And I think we know where he got the words from. Just kind of a cool thing. Here's a third irony. Then we're going to move on to the impatience issue for us. Before Mordecai was to, oh, now the Jews could avenge any foe. I said blank there. Before the Jews were to be killed, now the Jews could avenge any foe. And then here we go in the next set of ironies. Before Mordecai was to bow to Haman. You realize that's where this all began? It's where the whole thing began. Mordecai says, I'm not going to bow to you, Haman. I'm not going to be one to be subservient to you. And and Haman insisted Mordecai bow, and since he didn't, Haman then had the position and the authority to finish him off. But now in the end, the tables are turned because notice what happened. Mordecai was to bow to Haman, chapter 3, verse 5. Now Mordecai had Haman's position this is the coolest of all the ironies. Esther revealed her nationality and told of Mordecai's relation to her. The king brought Mordecai in. It mentions he took off his signet ring. It was Mordecai or it was Haman's signet ring. The king took it back and then the king said, "Mordecai, here you go, buddy. You are now the position of Haman." And then not only that, if you look down a little bit more, not only was the prime minister now of Persia, he had the power to enact these laws in the king's name, just as Haman did before. And then I love this verse 15. If you remember going back a couple chapters, when Haman thought he was to be the one to be recognized and the king said, what should we do for the person in whom the king delights, and he said, you know what? Have him on this royal horse. Have him have all of these special robes. And then it ended up being Mordecai. Well, notice verse 15, and I just love the picture of this. When Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen and the city of Susa held a joyous celebration now Mordecai had Haman's position when all was said and done Haman's wealth his title his power his signet ring everything belonged to his enemy Mordecai and this is the full extent of it what a major awesome turn of events and it just makes you excited that here God can take our biggest challenges and completely change them by his awesome power in doing whatever he so chooses through them now i want you to see something and here's where patience comes into play how much time elapsed chapter 3 verse 12 mentions the timing of Haman's decree Chapter 8, verse 9, mentions the timing of Mordecai's decree. Look at verse 9 in chapter 8, and you'll see. Um, It mentions, at once the royal secretaries were summoned on the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan. And you're wondering, so how long from Haman's decree to kill everyone and plunder them until Mordecai's decree where the Jews can avenge themselves and be safe and I'm going to tell you how long that was because in our Bible it's about 10 minutes of reading in their lives it was much longer than that and here's the length of time and you got a couple blanks there for that too because I wanted to sink in the time that passed between Haman's decree and Mordecai's decree was this it was two months And ten days two months and ten days now when the Bible mentions days months years it's there for a reason it's not merely there for informational purposes but oftentimes it wants to show us the duration of time that passed or it wants to show us the precision in which God enacted his timing and here the author wants us to understand That a few chapters was closer to a few months. And a quarter of a year may not seem like a long time to you, but let me me just put this into perspective. A quarter of a year when your life is on the line, when people are going to kill you, when you are staring your death date on a calendar, and when it's coming down, day after day to the finale, let me tell you, that would be sheer panic for me. And I'm not sure if it would be for you. I have the feeling we'd all be in the same boat. We would be thinking about that day. We would be nervous about that. We would be wondering what's going to happen. And it may not seem like a big deal, but let me tell you, if we put ourselves in the shoes of Mordecai and the Jews, This was a big deal. And it is one in which they had to wait. And if you understand the idea of waiting, here's the word for us. In the Christian life, when we talk about waiting, the biblical word for that is, are you ready? Patience. It's patience. Do you like to wait? If you do like to wait, you have big problems. And we can't help you here. Because we're all people that hate to wait. You realize how much of our lives, how much of society is is intended to eliminate waiting? You realize that? When I was younger... There was a statement that we would get on the movies that we rented. Some of you are like, you rented movies? Yes, there was a store that you went to and there were these large things like this and there were spools of tape in there and there was a statement that went across every one of those VHS videotapes and we are just about to test your age right now. But the statement that went across those videotapes was this: "Be kind, and you are old people." <laughs> rewind, and so when you got done renting this, and then you sit there and you hit the rewind button, zing, 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 zing. and because you know what would be so mean is if you rented a VHS tape. And you go and you put it and you realize you have to rewind it and wait and wait. How terrible. Now we have discs. Whoop, they go in. And then you're like, I don't want to wait through these stinking things. Oh, let's do fast play. And there it is. Realize we have express lanes at the pharmacy. We now have self-checkout, which does not really save you any time. Passing lanes have been added. There's now instant pudding at new invention. Drive-through fast food, mobile banking, people. I don't even go to the bank. I take a picture of my check, whoop, and it goes in. And it seems... Everything in life is geared to help us not to have to wait. And there's nothing more frustrating than when all of life is there to service us so we don't have to wait, but then we have to wait. And we're coming up on it, folks. Because with the snow going in Traverse City, there is one thing I remember that does come road construction and the Cherry Fest. And we are going to have to wait. Not everything in life goes according to schedule. And it seems that when we don't get things moving the way that we would want them to, we get to that boiling point so much quicker. Why is patience so difficult? I think the very definition of the word will help us with that. Check this out. Patience actually comes from a Latin word. And you're not going to like the meaning of it. And that Latin word means to suffer. Doesn't that just warm your heart today? To suffer. To handle hurt and pain and disappointment. But patience doesn't mean just that we handle it, but we do so with grace, calm. In the test of patience, God challenges us to wait or endure some type of tribulation with dignity and without, and here's another tough one, without complaining. To grow in patience, a believer must bear pain or trouble without losing self-control or becoming a disturbance to others, and to portray this quality, folks, a believer calmly tolerates delay and refuses to be provoked by it. I got a little phrase that I've been mulling through my head because I see it in Esther. When Haman first did his decree to kill the Jews and to kill Mordecai, there was a sense of panic. And I understand we've all been through those moments. And Mordecai panicked and went to Esther and said, You've got to do something about this. Come on, go to the king and say, King, you know, this is what's going on, and get the whole thing turned around. And there was, this, there was a level of panic. In fact, she started to panic. I can't do that. Realize I just can't go into the king. I haven't seen him for a month. I don't know what's going to happen. And so there was this panic that occurred. Now That's interesting, when we get to the end of this whole climax in chapter eight, we don't see Esther panicking anymore. In fact, you know what we see? She's reclining. She is laid out as she explains this whole thing to the king, because that's where Haman ends up begging to her as she's reclining. Really? You realize that reclining is not the position of panic? And we go from panic to peace. And when we start in panic but end in peace, it means we have learned the test of patience. When you begin in panic and you end in peace, we have learned the test of patience. And it is not easy. Now I know there are some here today that are saying, how in the world can I ever do this? Patience is a virtue. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And I just want to encourage you, I don't think you really can on your own. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something God produces in your life. It's not something where you just grin and bear it or you just try to think happy thoughts. It's something that we need to have a life that's controlled by Jesus Christ. Christ where he's the leader of our lives. And so some of you today are saying, how in the world do I do? this?" It all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It all starts with getting to know him because I don't know a more patient person who's ever existed in all of eternity than Jesus Christ. And if you wonder, what has he had to be patient with? I just encourage you, take a look in the mirror. And then look at the people on either side of you. And the Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish. And that all should come to repentance. And for that means he is so ever patient. Patience is putting up with those who don't learn at our pace. Patience is putting up with those who need to develop greater spiritual maturity. Patience is dealing with those who don't share my preferences. Patience is dealing with those that hold me up. Patience is dealing with the pastor who preaches over. Just had to get that one in there. And I want to give you the key in patience. And then we're going to finish up. In patience, and here's what it is, in patience, the believer must yield his or her rights and expectations to God. Knowing God has a purpose. God has a purpose for why you wait. God has a purpose for why you are linked to the individual that's a slow learner or who doesn't share your preferences, God has a purpose in the time of your pain and your suffering. And I know it's not always exciting, or it may not make you feel good, but we need to realize God has a purpose, and to cut that short is robbing ourselves of the very thing God wants us to experience and grow in. I want to give you this story, and with this we're going to finish... You wonder, this seems stupid. Why am I dealing with this? I shouldn't have to wait. Listen to this one. A young man desired to go to India as a missionary from the London Missionary Society. Mr. Wilkes was appointed to consider the young man's fitness for this missionary post. And he wrote to the young man and told him to call on him at 6 o'clock in the morning. And although the applicant lived many miles off, he was at the house punctually at six in the morning. And he was ushered into the drawing room. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited. And he waited waited wanderingly but patiently. Finally, Mr. Wilkes entered the room about mid-morning morning And without apology, Mr. Wilkes began, well, young man, so you want to be a missionary? Yes, sir, I do. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, sir, I I do. And do you have any education? Yes, sir, a little. Well, now, let me try your education. Can you spell the word cat The young man looked confused and hardly knew how to answer. His mind evidently halted between indignation and submission, but in a moment he replied, C-A-T, cat. Very good, said Mr. Wilkes. Now can you spell dog? And the youthful was stunned, but replied, D-O-G, dog. Dog. Well, that's right. I, I see you do well in your spelling. Now, so your arithmetic, <clears throat> how much is two times two? And the patient youth gave the right reply. It's four. Mr. Wilkes got up and left the room. The next day, Mr. Wilkes gave his report at the committee meeting and said, I cordially recommend the young man His testimony and character I have duly examined. I tried his self-denial. He was up in the morning early. I tried his patience by keeping him waiting. I tried his humility and temper by insulting his intelligence. He will do great as a missionary. And so we wonder... Why the wait? Why the time of pain? If you yield your expectations to God, he's doing something really good. And part of it is, he's qualifying us to be more like Jesus Christ. That's why we wait. Would you close your eyes with me? Are you like me? If so, I apologize. We all have to wait. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to wait well. and Let God do what he's going to do. I'm not even going to ask if you deal with waiting and impatience. I'm going to say we do. Can I just have us get personal with God for a moment? Maybe you have some things to confess this morning. Maybe we were extremely impatient on the way to church. Or waiting in line. or with our spouse, our kids. And I just want us to realize these are qualifying moments of God. Would you be personal with God and confess? And would you ask him for his help spirit's help in your life to expose the impatience and the complaining that ensues expose it and help us to deal with it to be more like Jesus would you talk to him about that right now right in your heart I'm going to give you a moment of silence Father, take us from panic to peace. Help us to recline confidently in your arms, even in the waiting, knowing you have a purpose for the very timing that is taking place. May your spirit grow this virtue and this fruit in our lives. And may a world see something crazy about those people at East Bay Calvary because they're willing to, with grace, wait. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, one thing just before my last statement, and that is um, next week. We're going to give a special farewell retirement offering for Beth Hannah, one of our dear missionary friends who served for 50 years. She served Jesus Christ in missions. That's just cool. So any extra gifts we have, we're going to have boxes in the back. We're just going to go ahead and give that to her and present her with that gift. Just think about it. Patience will pay off. It pays off for the believer who calmly leaves the results and details and timing of our lives in the capable hands of God. We go from panic to peace. We go from the struggle to reclining. Give it to God. Even the little things. He has a good outcome. Hey, blessings on your week. If you have kids downstairs, don't forget them. Because you'll be trying our workers' patience. Have a great, great week. God bless you.